If you love great olive oil, do I have a deal for you? As one of my listeners, you're entitled to receive for $1, listen to this, for just $1, a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils. And what makes this oil really special? It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor than any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oil direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs! It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh yeah! I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time, jimmyoliveoil.com. Do you miss the taste of homemade cookies and perhaps granola that you grew up on? Well, allow me to introduce you to Grapow. Go to JimmyLovesGrapal.com and you'll find out about this sweet and salty cookie granola. It's got really delicious cookie chunks all in it, you guys, with lots of bold flavors. I love eating Grapal like cereal with unsweetened almond milk or coconut milk. And you can even use it as dessert with that keto ice cream from my cookbook, Grapal. Doesn't have any GMOs, doesn't have soy or grains or sugar or any of the other stuff that we don't eat on a ketogenic diet. And best of all, I love that it is full of 85% healthy fats. Go to JimmyLovesGrapow.com, that's G-R-A-P-O-W, enter the coupon code Jimmy at checkout and get 15% off of your order. You're going to want to get this, you guys. It's Grapow. It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole. They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk. Keto Talk. Here's Jimmy and Will. Hey, hey guys. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole episode 98 today. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, and be sure to check out our Facebook page to connect with your fellow Ketonians at the Ketonian Corner. It's at ketotalkfb.com, and we're here each and every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Will Cole, drwillcole.com. He's a functional medicine practitioner out of Pittsburgh. What's up? Will. 
What's up, Jimmy? How are you? Oh, good to be alive. It's, <laughs> uh, right. you know, it's funny because when I was a big boy and unhealthy, I didn't feel good a lot of times when I woke up in the morning. And so now it's it's cool. It's one of the, uh, I guess, less known uh, things about keto that people don't really talk about a lot. It's just the day to day. You just feel good. Yeah, you wake up not feeling like a truck ran you over. It's a good it's a good thing. <laughs> and if you're well, eating keto and still feel like a truck ran you over, then uh, maybe you need a little bit of help from a functional medicine guy like Will. <laughs> Again, check out his website, drwillcole.com, because uh, that's what you do in the day-to-day, isn't it? Yep. Most of my week is with patients, and most of our patients are via webcam. So, yeah, I love I love what I do. And he's actually helped Christine a lot in the past with some issues she was having. So highly recommend Dr. Cole, but you're going to be re- Will the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Cole just sounds so keep, funny calling you Dr. Yeah, Cole. we'll keep it casual for this next hour. <laughs> well, let's get right to some health headlines. It's what we like to do at the top of the show. Talk about what's being talked about out there in the world of health. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. And we start with one of the not-so-goods. This is from a newspaper called The Morning Call. The healthiest dairy-free milk is soy, according to a new study. Plant-based milk is having a moment now. Everywhere you look, a new type of milk alternative is trying its luck on the grocery store shelves, ranging from almond milk to soy milk to even, and I haven't heard of this one before, banana milk. How do you milk a banana? But we'll get to that. Uh, A team of researchers out of McGill University conducted a study to decide once and for all which of these provides the most nutritional bang for your buck. And according to their data, none of these vegan alternatives truly lived up to the nutritional value of real milk. Well, that's good. But some are healthier than others. And the one that they thought was most healthy, Will, was the soy. So... There are concerns about soy, and I've talked about the estrogenic effects of soy for many years. Is that the biggest concern that you see with soy and why maybe it's not as good as maybe some of the other alternatives like coconut milk and almond milk? Yeah, that's going to be the main major concern. And some people, it's not an issue. I I think it's about what the individual, you know, what their health looks like. And many people do all right with soy milk. It's not my go-to milk at all. I wouldn't. Have you ever tried the soy milk? (laughs) (laughs) I have. I have. Uh, But and it's not really like top. When you have all these other options, why would you go to soy? I, I just don't get it. But their whole premise in this article was based on saturated fat is bad. And fats in general aren't that good. So soy milk was like the better option here because it provided protein, which they were saying the benefits of protein in the article and uh, basically low saturated fat, which is why they said coconut milk wasn't so good because they were like it's linked to, you know, having these fats. Yeah. And if it was me and I could not have regular cow's milk, uh, raw milk, if you can find it, you guys, I, I would have coconut milk. That That's kind of my second go-to. Yeah. Almond milk's okay. It's just kind of bland to me from a taste perspective. Have you ever heard of banana milk? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. That makes me want to search for it. I know. Just look for <laughs> it. I'm sure it's very sweet, very high in carbohydrates. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were they mentioned rice milk not having you know like uh, anything other than carbohydrates, right? And sugar. So, yeah. I, I mean, coconut milk's my go-to for sure. Uh, full fat coconut milk, the creamy kind. Uh, for any of these milks, for any of these non-dairy milks, you're gonna want to look for added gums and fillers and oh, things course. like that, which can be a problem for some people. It can cause GI issues, inflammation. So look out for that. And you can make your own almond milk pretty easily as well. So those are some some options. Carrageenan is the one they typically put in these kind of things that is another additive that helps thicken it a little bit. And so, yeah, look out for the additives. Have you ever tried camel's milk? I have tried camel's yes, milk. Yes, me and too. I, it's good. I have a patient in uh, Dubai who has a camel farm. <laughs> They're always nice. talking about their endless supply of camel milk. So, And, of course, goat's milk uh, is another one of those that could be a, a dairy alternative that, that people yeah. can't handle cow dairy. So lots of alternatives. And the headline alone – the healthiest dairy-free milk is soy. Uh-uh. There, there's so many more. And I guess it depends on what your definition of the word health is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next headline. This one uh, is a great one. It's one that I, I came out last week, and I really wanted to talk about it last week, but we already did the show by the time this came out. So the L.A. Times uh, it's co-written by Gary Taubes and Nina Teicholz, the two uh, primary authors in this space that's been trying to bring saturated fat back to the forefront of the discussion of health. U.S. news is wrong about what constitutes the best diet. Now, I'm not going to read this entire uh, article. You can go definitely at ketotalk.com and read the entire article if you haven't already. But they go through that recent uh, classification that uh, the DASH diet was the healthiest from U.S. News and keto ended up in last place. And they describe in the article why it is and how they got this criteria for determining what was best and what was not best. And again, like we said in the last article, predicated primarily on the fat intake in the diet. What do you think about Nina and Gary's article? I am a super fan of Gary Taub. So this was super exciting. That was in the LA Times. I was very, I saw it circulating around the social media. So yeah. I'm excited to cover this here. The It says in the article, and it's bringing up this fact that we talk about in functional medicine a lot, that look, during the time span, the last decades, 50 years at least, of Americans following, for the most part, government suggestions of foods, we've decreased saturated fats, we've increased uh, consumption of grains and fruits and eating less of, of saturated fats. During this time span, we've seen chronic and autoimmune inflammatory conditions at large skyrocket despite following in higher numbers more than ever, the government recommendations. And they're like, well, basically, what's the definition of insanity? It's doing yeah. the same thing and not questioning, wait, these actually aren't, this isn't helping us. This, right. We need to do something different to see different results. Um, and I, I love it. The article really summarizes and the, the research behind it uh, really summarizes what we're saying on the show on a weekly basis. And it talks about, despite ketogenic being dead last on this list um, from U.S. news, uh, their rankings that look at the research. I mean, the ketogenic diet, they talk about early results of a current trial reported that type 2 diabetes symptoms can be reversed in just 10 weeks on such a diet. Yes. Um, so 
really cool. Loved it. I think everybody should share it with their friends and family to educate them on how these things are ranked. Well, and the fact that we're able to get this out into such a mainstream publication like the Los Angeles Times is huge, you guys. I I don't want to uh, mislead people into thinking this is not important. This is very important. And to get into such a major publication with two names that are pretty big in our community uh, is pretty cool. And I, I love in the last uh, paragraph where it says, we don't need more input from experts who aren't paying attention to the latest science or who can't break free from 50 years of conventional thinking about healthy eating. Promoting this same dietary advice over and over again while expecting different results is indeed a kind of insanity and worse is doing nothing to combat the rising disease and death rates. Consumers need solid information about how to eat for good health and the U.S. News Best Diets issue just doesn't measure up. And it's one reason we started this show was we wanted to give people that good advice. So hopefully they're finding shows like ours and others that are online sharing an alternative message to the conventional wisdom that's out there. And I think they are. (laughs) Well, let's move on to Newsweek has the next headline. Top foods to eat for full nutrition and balanced meals as ranked by scientists. Uh Uh-oh. So so sometimes uh, you get scientists together and they try to come to a consensus on things, Will, and uh, it's good or bad. But let's see how they did. Eating for your health isn't always easy. Some days all you hear are the benefits of low-carb diets, while other days it seems that every health article focuses on why you should go vegan. To demystify what a healthy, balanced diet entails, researchers analyzed more than 1,000 foods and they assigned a score to indicate how well they would serve our nutritional needs. And here's what they came up with, Will. And let's see, uh, put on your functional medicine hat, as you always do on this show. How about almonds? Is that a good functional medicine food? It is, and it made the list on this list, this healthy food list. And almonds are good, a good form of fat, a good form of fiber for the body. So some people do not handle nuts and seeds. So one way to mitigate the lectins and phytates that are at play, and some people are more sensitive than others, is to soak nuts and seeds. Just you could put them in the fridge overnight uh, and have them in the morning. You can dehydrate them if you have a dehydrator. It's like toast them on lower heat. Um, so yeah, I love almonds. That's something that I have on a regular basis, though. And, and these guys put that as the highest nutritional score of 97 out of 100. So I thought that was pretty cool uh, that they put that one first. The second one, I didn't know what it was. Sheremoya? What is that? (laughs) I've never had it either, nor have I heard about it. And this is all all I talk about is food every day. But, yeah, I'm going to just try some Sheremoya now. There you go. And it's a fruit that tastes, they say, like a mango, banana, and pineapple with a cream-like consistency. It sounds delicious. Sounds high in sugar, though. (laughs) I'm a little Probably. (laughs) And then the next one on the list was Ocean Perch. It's a fish... uh, that may not be the most popular choice like salmon would be, but they gave it a really high score of 89. Have you tried that one? I have. I I love love fish. I love perch. I love that they have healthy fats in uh, a few of these. The next one, flatfish, uh, which they say is uh, a variety of fish, includes the common dinner picks like sole, halibut, and flounder. So that's pretty cool. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. because of the omega-3 fats that are in these kind of fish. Yeah, and they mentioned chia seeds as well for the same reason. So yes. it was cool list to see. 
Good. And and like I said, most of those healthy fats were in there. So that's kind of yeah. neat to, to see they're doing that. Another Newsweek article, want to feel full eating two burgers is better for your health than ordering the fries. Now, you wouldn't expect a registered dietitian to advocate for eating multiple hamburgers in a day, let alone a single meal. But uh, there are people advising to do exactly that. A recent Business Insider story from Emily Field, uh, she actually did recommend that people do that. And what was interesting, Will, her reasoning was you'll actually end up eating fewer calories and being more satiated till the next meal by eating this way. Gee, what could that be if you only ate two burgers and no fry? Sounds a little low carb to me. Yeah, I know. Right. They were talking about the fact that you eat these empty carbohydrates and you want more food. And the reality is that while the article is obviously not advocating people to have hamburgers, you know, from McDonald's with the white bread and all of that, they were just saying merely from the proteins and fats, actually getting some substance other than empty carbohydrates, you're going to be fuller longer. So if you had to pick in this, (laughs) in this scenario, pick, pick the extra burger over the the fries. I would agree with that in theory. Um, you know, if you had to pick, which is a weird if you had to pick. But <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Do you want to smoke uh, cocaine or cigarettes? Which which would be healthier? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So um, it's interesting when people eat French fries and they're totally devoid of any kind of nutrition for your body and people get hungry soon after eating that. My theory has always been, Will, that their body is like craving nutrients. And so it kind of gives you a hunger signal because it still hasn't gotten the, the micronutrition that it actually needs. Is there any validity to that theory? Yeah. And it just throws your hormones off and you crave more. You're not satiated. So it's a quick fix. You kind of curb that hangry monster, but it's not something that you're not getting any nutrients from it. So um, the article kind of shows the calorie differences and the proteins and fat differences. And basically it's just getting... I mean, it's kind of sad when you're comparing the burgers and the fries and you're saying, well, the more real food option is to go for the burger. <laughs> but that's what they're trying to get the point they're trying to get across. Can I choose none of the above? <laughs> yeah, right. I'll just drink water. Thanks. There you go. So let's move to the next headline from the Tech Times. Sugar, not fat, causes weight gain, according to a professor of medicine at the Indiana University School of Medicine. He explained that the real culprit behind getting fat is eating sugar and not fat. The pediatric professor is named Aaron Carroll, and he said it's perfectly fine to have avocados, nuts, cream, and butter. I hope he has tenure so that they don't fire him now. Just kidding. Uh, He wrote a book called The Bad Food Bible, How and Why to Eat Sinfully, which uh, as a Christian is kind of funny to me to bad food Bible. But anyway, (laughs) the evidence reportedly can be found in research that has analyzed people on low carb and high fat diets, as well as those on low fat and high carb diets. And the studies have incessantly, I love that word, shown that people with restricted fatty food uh, intake do not shed the pounds. And uh, a review of the diet and weight gain studies published in the journal Food and Nutrition Research suggests that the more refined grains that a person consumes on average, the higher the weight gain over the research period. In comparison, the more whole grain, whole food grains a person consumes, such as brown rice and whole wheat bread, the less uh, weight they gain. That was the only part that I kind of went, well, not everybody. But what would you think about this article? 
Yeah, I mean, could you imagine if you didn't eat the grains at all? How how about that? Yeah. I mean, they're comparing refined versus whole foods. I think, yeah, right. It, it's a better of the two options, but to, better doesn't mean best, and better doesn't mean optimal. Um, and yeah, I obviously know people that do better, or they I should say this: they do okay on having more whole grains, and their labs look fine, and they enjoy it, and it's what they choose in their life. But we know from an optimal health standpoint, it's not ideal for most people, it's really not doing anybody any good. And the only argument that anybody has for uh, whole grains is fiber, which we've talked in previous episodes, that vegetables have way more fiber. So it was a really cool article to showing that fats are not the demon that they've been made out to be for a long time. And now we're starting to see more and more of this in mainstream media showing yes. the fact that healthy fats aren't the problem. It's the sugar that's going on here. It's the carbohydrates that's that's the culprit. It's the influence of people like Gary Taubes and Nina Teicholz who've written best-selling books that now it's starting to creep in and kudos to this professor uh, for kind of grasping onto this and trying to get it out there. The only uh, bugaboo that I saw was the bottom line where they said a person should consume more of polyunsaturated fats over saturated and trans fats that are found in processed food. And they always throw that in there, saturated and trans fats, as if those two are equals. Saturated fat in the context apart from processed foods in a real food setting is never a bad thing. Right. And and you can see the studies showing that the fact that these things are not saturated fats are not linked to cardiovascular uh, increased rates uh, anymore. And even the major mainstream sort of go governing bodies are starting to lift these restrictions off saturated fats. But it's the remnants of the old that are still in the these articles, right? right? It's going to die slowly. <laughs> they almost have to. They feel like they have to say that as a caveat, yeah. just as a yeah. CYA uh, in the end game, I guess. But yeah, whatever. The last headline that we're going to talk about here today from the Daily Mail, good old Daily Mail, has the keto diet almost cured this girl of her epilepsy. Five-year-old no longer has 60 fits a day after switching to the plan and eating thousands of avocados a year. Leafy Lou is her name. Her parents were worried about her fits becoming more frequent and severe. Medication failed to stop these seizures, so they tried the ketogenic diet. And experts believe the way the body burns carbohydrates can trigger these epileptic seizures. Therefore, switching over to more of a high-fat, low-carb diet reduces that risk. Leafy has eaten two avocados, which are high in good fats, every single day for the last four years. What I want to know is how they keep them ripe So, because it's so hard to eat them when they're ripe. But anyway, I guess we'll talk to them later about that. Since making this change, she now has just four seizures a year. Now, Will, we've known for many years that a ketogenic diet is very well known for helping with this specific condition of epilepsy. Uh, does this surprise you at all? No, I mean, it's just the real life impact that this article really spoke to me. I mean, from 60 minor seizures a day to a few a year. I mean, what a blessing. What a huge blessing um, without medications and not all this stuff that they're putting people on when they have these uh, seizure disorders. Uh, I love the comments about avocado. It says the avocado has been a real staple. Uh, we spent a fortune buying them, but it's been worth it. <laughs> they are wonderful. It ticks all the boxes in terms of sticking to the diet, but it also is something that can be served with any meal. So <laughs> all hail to the avocado. These people love it and they're seeing some awesome health improvement 
improvements through it. Did you see on the Super Bowl they had another avocado ad? Yes, I did see that. Cool. Avocado's making it big. Yeah. Yes, they they were on there last year, and then I saw them uh, avocados from Mexico again this year. I'm like, oh, they must be doing well, and they are uh, just just from uh, just from this family, Leafy's family alone, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And she's a cute girl. Go check out the photo in that article, you guys. But we're going to pause here and we'll be right back. Hey, guys, I've got a great new product to tell you about here today that is the first all-in-one keto meal that gets its nutrition from quality real foods. It's called Ample K. Go to AmpleMeal.com, enter the coupon code MORE15, that's M-O-O-R-E-1-5 at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Ample K is the first complete keto meal that gives you all the healthy fats in a powdered mix-on-the-go Format. It will help you stay in ketosis with just six net carbs for a 400 calorie meal. It is packed with MCTs for enhanced ketone production, and 70% of the calories come from fat, which will help you satisfy your hunger, give you energy throughout the day, and keep you in ketosis. It also is good for the gut health, and they put 40 billion CFU probiotics in every meal. Again, it's called Ample K. Go to amplemeal.com and be sure to enter the coupon code MORE15 at checkout for 15% off of your first order. Ample K. If you're a fan of fat, then you need to try the F-Bombs. Go to JimmyLovesFBomb.com, enter the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. So what are these F-Bombs? They are nut butters, and they have incredible combinations of coconut and macadamia nut, macadamia nut butter, and my favorite is salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. They also have several oil blends including the house blend, the MCT oil, as well as coconut oil. If you want your fat on the go, then you need to check out JimmyLovesFBomb.com. And once again, use the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb. You'll get 20% off your first order. JimmyLovesFBomb.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, and we are up to the very first question we're going to address here today from Sarah Beth. Hello, Jimmy and Will. I love keto. Appreciate you guys for all the info that you put out there. I'm five foot seven inches tall, 31 year old female, and I weigh 158 pounds. I've been on a ketogenic diet for the past five weeks, keeping my carbohydrate intake between 30 to 50 grams daily. I work out for an hour with HIIT training and weight training as well. Uh, about three to four times per week, as well as two to three one-hour classes of indoor cycling weekly. Overall, I've been feeling pretty good with only occasional fatigue. I recently decided to add in fasting to my routine, doing several 24-hour fasts so far. I've noticed I start to get hungry about 12 hours into these 24-hour fasts, and the hunger just lingers for the rest of the fast. Does that mean I'm not keto adapted? Thanks for your help, Sarah Beth. So Sarah Beth wants to know, does getting hungry during a 24-hour fast mean I'm not yet keto adapted? Now, I'll I'll chime in because I have a little experience with fasting and keto. So I'm wondering for Sarah Beth, Will, whether she's measuring for ketosis and she's been doing it for five weeks. Some people can adapt very quickly. And I would think as an exerciser, that's probably helping her adapt very quickly. But I wonder if she's truly in ketosis 
ketosis yet or not, or if something else might be going on. We know gut health issues can make fasting challenging for some people. But what were your thoughts about this one? You're right. I would start with testing and seeing for sure if she's in ketosis and kind of going off of that and the length of time she's been doing it. But just because you're hungry after 12 hours and doesn't by itself necessarily mean she's not in keto adapted. So we all have our own metabolic rate. We all burn fat at different speeds. And I mean, look at the context of this question. She's doing high intensity (laughs) interval training, weight training three to four times a week which increases energy expenditure. She's cycling for an additional one hour, two to three times a week. (laughs) I'm burning so many calories. Why am I hungry? (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, she fasts easily for 12 hours and the hunger is just lingering after the 12 hours. She didn't even say it was horrible. Um, And she feels great. She just has occasional fatigue. I think that's being called human. Yes. Uh, I think it sounds like she's doing pretty awesome. So good job, Beth. I mean, from what you said in the question, it sounds like you're doing pretty good and keep up the great work. Well, and I would think, Sarah Beth, it sounds like you might be trying to force a 24-hour fast. And with anybody that's ever done fasting, you know you kind of work your way up. So try skipping one meal and see how that does. And I I found if you eat your dinner meal, say at six o'clock at night, and then you just don't eat breakfast the next morning and and try to push it to that noon meal, um, you're right about an 18-hour fast at that point. Maybe try those And I don't know when she's doing the 12 hour period, but if you let the sleep period be part of your fasting, it makes it so much easier. Well, thank you, Sarah Beth. And we're going to move on to the study portion of the show. This was a really cool study. Ketogenic diet can sustain weight loss better than low fat diet, says study, a report published in the January 2018 issue of the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, said that participants of studies on ketogenic diets were able to lose more weight and keep it off too. And because of the popularity of keto, they they wanted to do this uh, study. And so uh, they looked at the participants of studies on ketogenic diets and uh, did a meta-analysis of various studies, taking a look at satiety and hunger pangs, and they found that those who followed a ketogenic approach didn't experience these things as much as those who had similar calories but different macronutrient makeup. And they talk about why that is and how this help helps. The study concluded that people who follow keto tend to lose more weight, manage to keep most of it off than those compared to other diets. Now, this isn't a surprise to Dr. Will Cole, is it? Yeah, it's something that I see on an hourly basis, but it's cool. I mean, this is a big deal, guys. The fact that the Journal of the American Medical Association is talking about this in any capacity in a positive light is a huge deal. This is the AMA's journal. Um, So I was super excited to see this, and it's something that I see all the time clinically, but it's cool to see it um, making its way into the mainstream model of care. Well, and what's interesting is how the low-fat diet has kind of ruled the roost, and they they make reference to that, that the study comes after the health industry basically went all in on the low-fat diet, and they marketed and pushed for a marketing of these low-fat products uh, for the past few decades, and now – What's going to happen to the low-fat dieting industry in light of studies like this and positive articles that we talked about here today? It's going to be interesting to watch uh, the sales decline and and what happens with that in the coming years. Yeah, I don't know. They're going to have to readjust their, their message. They're going to have to readjust what they're putting out there into the world because it's going to be – it is antiquated and it's going to become more and more archaic as time goes on. 
fun. And it's cool. This article actually says that obviously the people that ate the ketogenic diet, lost more, kept it off easier. But they said compared to other diets that prescribe the same caloric intake. Yes. And that's an argument a lot of people make. Well, if you eat less food, you're going to lose less weight. And if you're fasting and things like this, that makes sense. But no, it's like, no, calorie to calorie, eating a ketogenic diet, you tend to lose more weight and to keep it off and not be so hungry and hangry as well. And that's an important point because you got companies like Coca-Cola pouring money into researchers kind of making the case for the calorie hypothesis. And at some point that's going to fall on deaf ears because people will realize, hey, I tried that and that didn't work for me. Exactly. Well, let's get right into the meat of the show because meat is healthy for you, by the way. Uh, (laughs) The first featured question here today on Keto Talk is from Karen. Hey, guys, my daughter is a big believer in keto. She really wants to do the diet for her health, but she has a terrible time with eating fat, even the healthy fats, because of a bad bile reflux condition where she produces too much bile. Foods like guacamole, sausage, and even eggs make her queasy and nauseated. The standard medical advice for this condition is to go on a low-fat diet, something she knows from her research and experience is not a good thing. Do you have any ideas for her about how she can implement a ketogenic approach with this excessive bile issue? I should add that they have done an endoscopy and the doctor could see where her stomach lining was quite inflamed. She takes medications for that, and if she misses just one dose, The result is horrible abdominal pain. Thanks so much for your help, Karen. So Karen has an interesting question. Can someone who produces excess bile eat a ketogenic diet if they can't seem to handle the higher fat intake? And my question that would put a little bit of a point on this question for you, Will, is do the quality of the fats and the kinds of fats matter in this case? And if so, what are the fats that are less inflammatory for someone in this situation? So, yeah, it does matter. The, the choices matter. And that's going to depend on the person. And normally what I would do from a, a clinical clinical setting is to track this with food logs and sort of trends and how the patient feels and get a baseline for how they're feeling with the foods that they're eating. And yep. obviously you can run other like food sensitivity tests if that's the issue here, but it doesn't sound like that's the major issue. So I would start off slowly with the fats and sometimes people are over eager with the best of intentions and maybe kind of <laughs> right wake up the body leaning into it with the higher fat. So start off just with like a little maybe even like a tablespoon of fat with each meal just to say, Hey body, like I'm having this deal with it yeah. and, and, and burn and break it up and metabolize it. Um, so if pain or, you know, any symptoms, nausea is experienced, that's your threshold for now. And it doesn't mean it's going to be your threshold in six months from now. So you have to kind of deal with these underlying functional issues to get the body actually be, being able to metabolize and digest real foods. Um, so, but I would, and when I read the question here is I, I would verify about the bioproduction because a lot of times people think acid reflux is excess bile. Right. Um, so maybe look into that because it may just be a little bit of a confusion on what's particularly going on here. The way it sounds like it, it sounds like acid reflux, a severe case of acid reflux, which most of the time it's the opposite. The person's not producing hydrochloric acid. They're having bile problems and not yeah. breaking down fats properly. So 
if that's the case, maybe just double check with with the um, the actual specifics on there. But if that's the problem, if it's a bile production problem for anybody, and that's honestly most of the people dealing with these issues, it's the body's not producing enough of it. And that's why they're having the symptoms because their body's not breaking it down. So try things like ox bile and digestive enzymes, which assists in breaking down fats and maybe some real foods to, to focus on that I use a lot is beet kvass. Uh, Kavass is Kavass. Beat Kavass, guys. K V A S S Kavass. There's it's the like new a, word for the week. Yes. <laughs> it is a. So I think it's Russian. I think it's an Eastern European fermented. It's basically like beet kombucha. I actually have heard of Kavass before. So. Okay, I thought you did. I thought you. Did. All right, but it's fermented beet juice, guys. It's nothing fancy, um, but it helps with Sounds stimulating yummy. healthy digestion. Uh, cabbage juice. I've seen that being good. Uh, it's, it would be fine for people to have have even celery juice to vegetable juices like that can sort of wake up the body and produce the proper enzymes and bile to break it down. Um, betaine HCL is good for protein. So sometimes it's not just the fat that's not being broken down. It's the protein in the fat sort of get together in the real food, like think grass fed beef. And it's not just the fat being not being broken down properly. It's, it's protein as well. So things like betaine HCL, which comes in a supplement form, Start off slowly with that. They can start off like something like 300 milligrams, you know, five to seven of those. They can work their way up and kind of see, especially if they're eating higher protein meals, they could help with that. Make sure that the betaine HCL has pepsin, which is also needed to break down um, proteins. I also like digestive bitters. It's a little bit more of a gentler approach to stimulate the body to produce HCL and break down these proteins and and fats. So there's some things to chew on, no pun intended, to (laughs) see if you can um, help out your your loved one. Is the cabbage juice and uh, beet kvass and the bitters and all these things, are they considered adaptogens or is there another classification of what these are? No, these would not be adaptogens, but they would be uh, just food medicines that help with digestion. They would be more like digestion food medicines. I I think that's the best way of putting them. And people that are new to this whole world of you just spouting these things off like you can find them on a local 7-Eleven shelf. Where do they <laughs> find these kind of things? Because I, I have people writing me, you know, um, he talks about holy basil and all this other stuff. And I have no idea what he's talking about. So where yeah. where do you source these really good quality kinds of these things you talk about? Yeah, well, you have need to have a beet farm for this one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll set one up in my backyard. (laughs) (laughs) It's really simple, guys. We live in an age where, look, we're talking to all our friends across the world right now via podcast. And that same Internet power at your fingertips, you can get you can just Google it, beat Kavas. And then there are companies that sell it and you can order it online. Whole Foods has beat Kavas. and. Basically anything that I'm saying here, they have it. Um, and there's other like Thrive Market and places like that that carry these sort of sure. strange things that I throw out there. And the cool thing about podcasts, you can repeat the audio to kind of write it down so you don't miss it. Yeah, they um, get that little 15-second back thing off and I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did he just say? Slow down, Will. What would you say? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot of this stuff you can find on Amazon or Whole Foods or your local health food store that's – you know, independently owned. 
Well, Karen, thank you for your question. And uh, hopefully this helps you with some ideas and uh, for your daughter. And hopefully she gets uh, gets to eat keto because we do know the powerful anti-inflammatory effects that it would have on this stomach issue. So good luck to you. And we're up to the second featured question of the day. This one's from Catalina. Hello, my friends. I'm new to keto. I had to deal with this condition last week known as Legionnaire's disease, which is a severe form of pneumonia from the lung inflammation, usually caused by an infection. I, uh, I felt like I was basically starving to death. I consumed carbs and sugar the last couple of days dealing with this because I felt like my body needed them since I was in a mentally dark place. This condition left me crying off, crying often and feeling absolutely awful. Did the sugar and carbohydrates I consumed dealing with this make the infection worse or are they somehow a good thing when dealing with Legionnaire's disease? Thank you for your insights, Catalina. So she wants to know, does consuming sugar and carbs make the infection from Legionnaire's disease better or worse? And I'll start off by saying my philosophy when you get sick is get through it. <laughs> and if she yeah. was truly in like a mentally dark place and this was just breaking her, just get through it and get right back on plan when it's over. And it sounds like she's doing better now. But uh, any thoughts about her question of whether the sugar and carbs made it better or worse? Legionnaires, which was mentioned in the question, it's it's a severe form of pneumonia. It's caused by a bacteria. It, the bacteria is called Legionella, which sounds so, you know, tropical so and like amazing. Sounds like a superhero. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not amazing and it's not a superhero. It's miserable. Um, but refined sugars, refined grains, they these carbohydrates are really never good for any infection. They fuel inflammation. They re, they uh, kind of really dampen and stress out the immune system. Uh, so they really, they're not good for the microbiome, which is 75% of your immune systems. So you're dealing with bacterial infections. I wouldn't say that'd be a good for anybody, but real food, whole food, vegetables that have carbohydrates, but also tons of vitamins and nutrients and fibers. These things are actually good for the microbiome, good for the immune system. And obviously uh, something that I would advocate, but not breads and pastas and other sort of carbs like this, I'd, it's not going to be good for anybody with a compromised immune system. But look, I mean, like you mentioned, Jimmy, I get it. I mean, she was in a dark place and I'm not here to shame anybody and, you know, stress and shame isn't good for your health either. So no. if the infection's already passed and you've already done it, I'm not saying beat yourself up, just like Jimmy said, get through it. But you know, anybody going through an infection as a general rule, I wouldn't say go for these foods if you're trying to support your healthy immune system. So is there something mentally that happens uh, as a result of infection that would Im impact the, the brain where this would, you know, kind of force a, a dark place to come on? I think mentally and emotionally, when you're not feeling well and you feel run down and really sick, that can really mess with your mind and put people in a dark place. And uh, maybe just reaching out to anybody right now and if they are going through a chronic health problem, you know, you're not alone. And you know, podcasts like this can maybe be your only communication with people because you do feel isolated from the world. Yeah. Um, but there's also a physiological aspect of this that um, pro-inflammatory states and inf infections like this, anxiety is inflammatory in nature. Depression is inflammatory in nature. So it's making the problem worse at, at the very um, like least. But uh, yeah, so there's mental, emotional and physiological aspects to chronic inflammation with anxiety and depression. 
Well, Catalina, good luck to you, and thank you for your question. And we're going to pause here real quick, you guys. We have two more questions to get to right after this. Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet with perfect keto exogenous ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at perfectketo.com jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLV at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. I didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good, healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body, how vitamins and minerals affect the body, so it's just been a great program anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this, so it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. 
We're back here with Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, and we're up to the third featured question of the day. This one comes from Cheryl. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I've been following a low-carb diet for years, recently shifted over to keto. I love drinking wine every single day, and I realized I probably was drinking too much of it. Boo. So I decided to give it up altogether to see if it would boost my ketogenic efforts to lose weight and improve my health markers. I lost 35 pounds a couple of years ago eating low-carb but I haven't lost anything more since. One thing I've always hung my hat on despite the lack of weight loss is my impeccable blood sugar control as well as other health markers I regularly track. I take a medication called Atacand Plus for hypertension, but no other medications. I'm sure dropping the remaining 35 pounds of weight from my body will enable me to come off that medication for good. So here's my issue. Ever since I went keto coming off of my beloved wine, my fasting blood glucose levels have risen. I thought coming off the wine would be a good thing, but it seems my blood sugar has gone in the opposite direction. What's causing this to happen and will it eventually normalize over time? Any insight into this is greatly appreciated. Love your podcasts, Cheryl. So Cheryl wants to know, why are my fasting blood glucose levels rising since giving up wine when I went keto and will they normalize over time? And the first thing I thought of, Will, was uh, not related to the wine, but more related to uh, the dawn phenomena, the, the thing that happens in some people that go keto, they tend to see higher levels of blood sugar in the morning, which has traditionally been known as physiologic insulin resistance. We now know it's kind of a glucose sparing effect. Uh, and so what I would, would want to know is, you know, what's your A1C? How does it look like in other times of the day? She didn't tell us what time she's measuring. I'm assuming in the morning when she first wake up, wakes up. But there's other markers she can follow that maybe this isn't a bad thing after all. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought, Jimmy, is I'd be curious to see where her blood sugars are at now and where how much have they risen? Because um, sometimes people can worry about it because they see a slight fluctuate fluctuation and it's right. really nothing out of control. So look at your triglycerides, making sure they're under 100. That's the functional medicine optimal range. You want to make sure HDL is above 60. Looking at the A1C, which is the two to three month uh, average. We went that below um, 5.5. At your blood sugar average, there I just had mine checked and it was four nine. Go, Jimmy! That's awesome. <laughs> I was shocked because awesome. I was like, "Whoa, that's cool." <laughs> that's awesome. Great job. Thanks. So you know, it's I, I'll tell you one thing I've learned in ten years of being in this sphere of seeing patients is that people love their wine, y'all. <laughs> they they love, love their, their wine. I uh, don't mess with people on their wine. But this lady took it upon herself to say, "Look, I may be drinking this too much. Uh, how's this impacting my health?" But look, alcohol can actually lower blood glucose levels. Yes. I mean. How this happens is your liver, which produces glucose, is kept busy metabolizing all the alcohol that you're drinking, causing it to produce less glucose. So for me, I mean, just personally lowering blood sugar is not a reason to be drinking alcohol, at least on a regular basis. Right. And even though I would say this, that dry, organic, clean wine is one of the better alcohol choices out there and has phytonutrients and resveratrol and a lot of other good things. Um, but if so, if you're going to drink, I don't think that's a bad 
choice, but I don't think that's a reason to do it. Um, So I would look at liver function. I mean, for the person asking the question, I would maybe run liver enzymes. You can do this on a blood test. Your doctor can do this, but AST, ALT, GGT, all these funny acronyms, (laughs) looking at liver function, looking at the A1C, which we mentioned, triglycerides, get a fuller picture of what's going on here um, and seeing if it's something to deal with or if it's something like you said, Jimmy, just physiological insulin resistance, the A1C super low, and it's just the DOM phenomenon, slightly higher blood sugars in the morning. It's may, maybe not a big deal, um, but look at some liver support support if, if you want to support your liver more. So things like dandelion root, you can get that as a tea, um, milk thistle, which is another herb to help with liver function. Um, if you are insulin resistant, if that's a concern for you, herbs like uh, bitter melon and nutrients like chromium, berberine is good, um, alpha lipoic acid. I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there, um, but people want tools. These are tools that you can use if insulin resistance or slightly higher blood sugars is a problem for you. Yeah, we have a, uh, a product called Berberine Plus on uh, KetoLiving.com. If you want to check it out, it has the chromium um, and banaba leaf as well as the uh, berberine in it. So check that out. And thank you for your question, Cheryl. Hope that helped you out. We're up to the Keto Talk mailbox portion of the show. And this one comes from Dean. And it's very cerebral, so get ready. (laughs) Hey, Jimmy and Dr. Cole, I've been keto for about a year and a half and had a few bad weeks over the holidays where I went in and out of ketosis and started having cravings again for carbs. The most amazing and hard to believe thing about keto has been the way carb cravings completely vanish for good so long as I stay in ketosis. In fact, I'm in an office right now with a box of donuts right next to me. I simply don't care, nor do I have a desire to consume them at a boy. That's utterly amazing, something I wouldn't have imagined possible before keto and experiencing it for myself. Several people in my life have adopted the ketogenic lifestyle after seeing my success. Several others showed interest, but couldn't get past the idea of giving up their beloved carbs. I try to explain to them that after they get keto adapted, they won't want carbs anymore, but it's hard for them to imagine what that would be like. I think the biggest challenge for us ketonians is to effectively communicate why people won't want to consume bread, pasta, chips, and all the other crappy garbage that they think they can't live without anymore. Do you have any suggestions on how to best do this? Thanks so much for all you do, Dean. So Dean has a great question. How do ketonians effectively explain why people no longer want to eat their favorite carbohydrate foods anymore once they get keto adapted? And it is a great question. The only thing I can think of uh, is to challenge them. If they're truly curious and they truly want to see health and weight effects happen as a result of trying it, you've just got to challenge them to do it for a period of time. I usually say give it 30 to 45 days. And so people, oh, it's just a month. Okay, great. I'll try it for 30 days, see how I do. And generally, once you get past that first few days of adaptation and you get to feeling good and you see results really fast, you have the buy-in factor. And of course, bacon never hurts either. So so what what do you do with your patients who are a little skeptical or maybe spouses of patients that go, okay, yeah, I'll support my spouse doing this, but you got to do a lot more convincing for me. (laughs) I think there's a few different aspects here that I think 
are, are at play and maybe things for you to use to communicate to the people around you that think you're crazy. <laughs> but you are metabolically balanced. You know, you are like a car, you know, a hybrid vehicle like my Toyota Prius. You're just running more efficiently. You use less fuel. Your cravings are calmed. Um, but so there's that aspect of it. You just don't crave it like you used to crave these junk foods. But the other level to this question is, is you feel so good. Why would you want to trade that feeling so great for that junk food? Right. So I think it's a more, uh, here. This level of understanding is it's about valuing your feeling great and feeling great sustainably over that short term fix that sugar brings you, which we know is short lived for people, um, you know, so and many people, and this is another thing of just seeing patients and seeing patients, families and the dynamics that play there, people who live for the desserts. And there's a many people that their whole day, it's like they get through their breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the dessert at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. That's their high point of their day. That's the highest that they know for some people, they really do live to eat. Um, um, and so to them, why would you ever want to give up the highest feeling with during that dessert that they know during that sugar fix, that chemical high? I mean, we know there's many studies to show this, that sugar acts like a drug for many people. Um, so for them, it's just like radical to say, why would you give up that drug? It's basically what it is. Um, so that's what I would say. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you're never going to convince someone who's not ready. Uh, you know, Christine used to always bug me to do something, do something, do something. Uh, but it was always kind of shoving it in my face. Uh, please do something. Uh, and so I didn't do that. <laughs> but when I came to the place of, of being broken a bit and going, OK, I'm ready to do something. That's when you get the buy in. And so, Dean, you've experienced that. You've had several people try keto and they've been successful themselves. And for these other people, they're still on their journey to find it and find what will work for them. So just keep living by example, showing them how energetic you are, how good you feel. Like we said at the very beginning of the podcast, you wake up in the morning and you just feel good and you can't really put a price on that. Well, Dean, thank you for that question. And we're up to the Apple podcast review portion of the show. This one is from Blixter77. Love the format, love the host. Uh, so hosts plural, super informative. The conversation between Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole makes it so easy to digest. Forgive the pun. So much information on the ketogenic diet. Thanks for creating a relevant and informative podcast. So far, I've lost 91 pounds in eight months, reversed my type two diabetes. Way to go. Thanks for getting the word out about this life-changing way of eating. This podcast was the very first keto podcast that I listened to, and you introduced me to the two keto dudes podcasts as well. Thanks. So Blixter77, thank you for that review. And if you'd like to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, head on over there, type in Keto, uh, Keto Talk, Jimmy Moore, Dr. Will Cole. You will find the show, I promise you, and you can leave us your review as well. We always love hearing from our fellow Ketonians, Will. And that's it for episode 98. As always, visit Ketotalk.com, our official website, as well as the Facebook page for this here podcast, Keto Talk FB. 
com, and we're coming up on episode 100 in a couple of weeks. Are we going to do something special for that? <laughs> yeah, I think we should. <laughs> we we got to come up. Something. We got to uh, come up with something for that because 100 is a big deal in the world of podcasting. That's right. So, uh, yeah, excited about that. So, until next Thursday, we'll see you then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc of Light.